better get a drink of water before I start this morning. So, just wanted to clarify that. Wow, did you have a good week? Good. Good, I'm glad you, I'm glad you had a good week. Amazing, eh? Closer and closer to Christmas. Let's start with the Lord's Prayer. If you'd like to stand one more time, it's be the last time I make you stand, or anyone makes you stand for today. But let's start with the Lord's Prayer. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trust sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forevermore. Amen, and amen. So be it. So be it. Well, this is a wonderful time of the year, is it not? And I'd like to read out of Luke to start with. Last week, the uh, message was on joy. Joy in the troubled world. But guess what? The world has always been troubled. Has it not been? <clears throat> in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, and it says in the angel, I start in verse 9, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. All the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angels, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, or other angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And here's this incredible story of, uh, of Jesus' birth, a little snippet of his birth. Do you know how many prophecies there are of Jesus' birth? Lots, isn't there? There are lots of prophecies. And this time of year, I like to look at the different, the different parts of Scripture that talk about the birth of Jesus. And I have written here in my notes, 353 prophecies of Jesus' first coming. 353 prophecies of his first coming. That's incredible, I think, don't you? All in the Old Testament, all, all pointing the direction that he's coming, he's coming. There's one coming, a Messiah is coming, a Savior is coming. I think that should give us joy. And as we celebrate this season of Advent, which is celebrating his coming, the arrival of Advent means the, the, the celebrating of, a, of the arrival of an important person. But we're also celebrating not only his first coming, but we're looking forward to, to his second coming. Do you know how many prophecies in the, in the scripture foretell of his second coming? A whole lot more. I have written here 20, let's see, I have written here 2,400 
prophecies in the Old Testament and New Testament of Jesus' second coming. 2,400, approximately 2,400. Now that is a lot of prophecies. That is... The Bible says, by the mouth, there's a principle in the scripture, by the mouths of two or more witnesses shall all things be established. Right? We find that over and over in scripture, the Old Testament, New Testament. But here we have 2,400, according to one eschatologist, scriptures, prophecies of Jesus' second coming. I think we should be excited about his second coming. 2,400. Wow. You can't just make this up. You know the odds of that? Someone said the odds of one of those prophecies, the prophecies coming true, the odds of that would be as if you covered the whole state of Texas, largest state in the Union, right? Anybody been to Texas, driven to Texas? It's a big state, isn't it? And you covered it with several inches of silver dollars, the whole state, and on one silver dollar you put a mark. And then you said, okay, You've got one try to go pick up that Mark Silver dollar. So one of you have, just one person. The odds of that person walking out under the state of Texas, digging through those silver dollars and picking up the one with a mark on it would be the same kind of odds as the fact that Jesus is, all of his prophecies coming to pass. Not just one prophecy came to pass in the New Testament of his birth, But all of them came to pass. And if all of them came to pass, we can be assured that all of the second coming prophecies will come to pass. I think that should encourage all of us. Let's look at a few few of the prophecies. Just a few. Just for a taste this morning. Have some in my Bible here. One of the first things that we know that we've studied, if you've studied Genesis, we did a class on the Old Testament last year, and in our discipleship class on Wednesday night, which is, a, I'm putting a plug in, this Wednesday at 6 o'clock, and uh, is our discipleship class, and then we'll be taking a break, come back in January. But one of the things that we talked about was, uh, one of the topics was the Old Testament, primarily Genesis, and we took from September until Christmas break, learning about the book of Genesis up to about chapter 10. That's how far we got. There was so much in the book of Genesis. But here in Genesis 3.15, the fall of man in the garden. Now, not to throw too many extra things out here, but I just read, or I just saw a post from Answers in Genesis that they have, no, I'm sorry, it was on one of the news networks that they have actually traced mankind back to two parents. Surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Took a long time to get back to that, but they finally said, back to two parents. Interesting, isn't it? Verse 3, uh, Genesis 3, chapter 3, verse 15, and this is after the fall. This is where Satan deceived Eve, and the Lord spoke this word. He said, I will put enmity. You know what enmity means? Like uh, wars, strife, division between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He, singular, shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Galatians 4.4, And when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. 
And we know that Jesus, that was the seed of the woman, was Jesus. And Jesus bruised Satan on the head, didn't he not? But Jesus was bruised on the heel. And the meaning of that is that through the crucifixion, he was bruised also, but not nearly as severe. But the wonderful thing about Jesus is he rose from the dead after he was crucified, and he lives forevermore. So one prophecy, Genesis seventeen nineteen, And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, speaking to Abraham, the patriarch of old, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish a covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. In Luke 3.34, the son of Jesus, this is the genealogy of Jesus, he was the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Mehar. And it says, I will establish with this son, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And so this Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. So let's go to another one. Isaiah 9-7. We read this, Michelle read that this this morning. There will be no end of the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. In Luke 1-32 and 33, it says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, speaking of Jesus. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, meaning he is a descendant of David, and he will reign over the house of Israel, or Jacob, forever. And his kingdom will have no end. So there's just a few. I'll give you a couple more. And uh, Micah 5-2. But as for you, Bethlehem, this is even prophesying where Jesus will be born. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you, one, capital O, will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Luke 2, 4, 5, and 7. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So here the place of his birth, even though they didn't live in that city, they traveled to that city, and that's where the baby was born in God's plan. Oh, there's so many, so many more. John the Baptist is prophesied. Isaiah 40, 3 and 5. A voice is calling, clear way, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth the desert, a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And the fulfillment of that is in Luke 3. And he, John the Baptist, came into all the district around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine shall be filled up. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. 
and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough road smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And I'll stop with that. But over and over and over, the prophecies of Jesus' coming. What's the big deal about Jesus' coming, by the way? If he's just a good man, or if he's just a good teacher, as so many people proclaim him to be, or declare him to be, what is so important about that? What is so important, the fact that Jesus came? Why was it so important that he was born of a virgin? What difference does that make to us? What difference does that make to the world? Well, the promise is for all who will believe, right? Joy, great joy to all the people. Great joy that Christ has come. But yet, so few people really grasp the fact that he came. So few people really grasp and desire to know him. So few people choose to believe something else. And it's really quite sad, is it not? Because God provided a way out of our sin. Now let's just back up in Genesis for a few moments. God declared, God created us in his image. And that's so important for us to understand. He created us in his image. And he said it was good. He didn't say man was bad. He said he was good. It was good. Man is good. The creation is good. But man made a choice. And as I referred to a moment ago, he made a choice when he listened to Satan, who said, you can be like God. Eve, Adam, you can be like God. You can know the difference between good and evil. Man's always seeking knowledge. It's not that it's all bad, but we're always seeking knowledge. And so oftentimes the knowledge gets in the way of the truth of Scripture, what's referred to as knowledge. You can be as God. And Adam or Eve rather fell for it. And the Bible says that Eve was deceived, but Adam, Adam rebelled. And he went against God's word and God's promises. And there was a fall that came into mankind. Because sin had now entered into the world, and mankind chose to sin and rebel against God. God had every right, right to wipe them off the face of the earth, didn't he not? I think he did. Because he promised them, he, he told us, he told them, he said, the day that you eat of this tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. In fact, he said, you can eat of any other tree in this whole garden, but you cannot eat off that one tree. In other words, he gave man free will to choose. That's so important. God doesn't violate our choice. I said, God doesn't violate our choice. He gives us a free will to choose things. However, when we choose things, the, the, uh, the ramifications from that might be very bad for our life. And then we bear consequences to those choices. Anybody bore, have borne the consequences of some of your bad choices? I have. Mm-hmm. But the Lord said, the day you shall surely die. But they ate of the fruit, but they didn't die. Well, that seems kind of strange. Is God a liar? Of course he's not a liar. They did die. The spirit within them began to die. And they were reduced to not the spiritual beings that they had been, but they were reduced to the natural beings. They fell from God's presence and from God's place of of, uh, favor 
And now they're living in a, in, in a fallen nature, and sin enters in the world. And as you read the book of Genesis, you'll find all these horrible things start happening. People start doing horrible things. One of the first things that happened is the two children born of Adam and Eve, the two of them, they had many children, but Cain and Abel, Cain had jealous of his brother and killed him. Murder. Right off the get-go. Killing one another. And we wonder, what is going on in our world today? When we look around our world and we see all these horrible things that are going on, and we see people doing horrible things to one another, we think, what is going on with this? What is going on is the nature of a fallen nature of man. We are hopelessly lost in a place. We are hopelessly lost in this place of sin. But for God. But God in his great mercy began to promise, I'm going to send into the world someone who can redeem you from this curse. I'm bringing somebody into the world. In fact, it won't just be somebody. It's God himself came into the world, came in as a human being, born into the world to bring redemption to us or whosoever will believe. Isn't that an incredible story? People say, where's God in all this? Where's God in all this? All this horrible things that go on, tragedies. Where is God? And God is right there saying, I have a different kingdom. I have a different government. I have a different place. I'm not saying we should rebel against our government. That's not what I'm saying. But his government is the highest government. And living in his order is the highest place to live. We can live as redeemed people, not living down in the gutter, so to speak, not living in a life of sin and the natural tendencies that we may have and the base nature, but we can live in a higher place. In fact, Paul the Apostle said that we're citizens of heaven when we come to Christ. So God became a man through, and he came into the world in somewhat the usual way. He came through birth, but he was not conceived by a human father. Remember the story. Let's go to Luke very quickly. You might remember that old Harry Chapin song, you know. Cats in the cradle, and I came into the world in the usual way. Well, Jesus came into the world in the usual way, but he wasn't conceived. And in, I'm sorry, I'm in Acts right now. I better get to Luke. See if I can find it very quickly here. When the angel came, and the angel came, this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming, and coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this salutation, 
at this statement and kept wondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call, you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, or Israel, forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, and this is very important, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it I am, be it done unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What's important about that? What's important about that is that it shows very clearly that Jesus was not the illegitimate son of some Roman soldier or whomever many skeptics have said that he is, but that he was the son of God, that the conception was by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he didn't have the fallen nature of his of a physical father, of a fallen father. His nature now is of the nature of God. And the Bible says he came as not the second Adam, but he came as the last Adam. The first Adam was made in perfection, but he rebelled and fell. The second Adam, the last Adam, Christ Jesus, came and lived the victorious life. In fact, the Bible says that he faced every sin, every temp- faced every sin, that is, he didn't sin, but faced every temptation that is common to man. All the temptations you've had and I've had, Jesus has been tempted with. Isn't that amazing? Yet he overcame every temptation. Had he not overcome every temptation, he would not have been a valid savior. There would be no hope for you and I. Had he failed at just one, at one temptation that was thrown at him, if he had failed at one, he would have fallen. And he would have been in the same position that you and I and Adam have been, have been in. Isn't that incredible? But he overcame so that he might be able to extend freedom and deliverance to us. And the Lord came limiting himself as a human being, as a flesh and blood man. Jesus came limiting himself to that position. In fact, in Philippians, if we turn there very quickly, you doing okay this morning? In Philippians, see if I can flip over there very quickly. Flip over to Philippians. It says in chapter 2, If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, the Apostle Paul writes, if there is any consolation of love, verse 1, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, if, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, 
united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every need should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's just stop there for a few minutes. I like to read verse 12 as well. Then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then it goes on to say, don't complain, grumble. But the point here is that Jesus came as a man, and he humbled himself as a man, became a man, that he may live as a man and overcome the temptation of sin. To the place, to the obedience, to be obedient to his father so that he would even die by crucifixion on the cross. Now dying of crucifixion is one of the most horrible things a person can die of. But it wasn't unique to Jesus. There were thousands and thousands of people at one time that were crucified. Slaves were crucified for rebellion, thousands and thousands of them at a time. That wasn't the crucifixion in itself. It was the overcoming of the sin and all the temptation that Jesus lived against. He lived a victorious life. And why did he do that? He did that for us. He did that for us. No matter what temptation you are in, no matter what temptation you have fallen into, I have good news for you. Jesus has overcome that sin. Whatever shame that is over your life, whatever it might be, Jesus has come to give you a victory. That's good news. No matter what sin that you might keep falling in and falling in, Jesus has come to give you the victory. If you'll just pick yourself up, first of all, repent before him, pick yourself up and keep going and keep moving ahead. That's the joy that we can have. The joy that in our life is that Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave. The joy isn't just that we will have eternal life. The joy is that we can have a victorious life here on this earth. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Easter is about. It's the fact that we can have a new life. And we can have a victorious life. You know, sometimes it just feels like sins and habits and, and uh, addictions can get a hold of us so tightly that there just seems to be no hope. And you go to counselor and you go to all sorts of... And I'm not putting those people down. They have a part. They, they help. Many of them help. But what I'm saying is, only Jesus can really fix the heart. 
And only Jesus can bring fulfillment to the heart. Only Jesus can bring true joy to the heart. And peace and hope. Peace and hope. Deb, uh, who's with the uh, young people right now, a few weeks back told about how she lost her, uh, her, her boss, a man that she worked with, for for many, many years, was very close to him, she was like a father to her. He, she lost him, and then a few weeks later she lost her husband, both, both to suicide. And she felt, as you can imagine, I don't think there's any words that could describe what she felt, unless you've gone through it. And she picked up a Bible for some reason, and she picked up the Bible, and the first two words were peace and hope, was it not? She opened up her Bible, and there was the two words that her eyes fell on. There's a lot of words in this Bible. And those two words, peace and hope, and she thought, that's what I need, peace and hope. How many need peace and hope in your life? We need it every day. It still can be a struggle because it's, there's no guarantees in life. But the guarantee is that Jesus brings peace and hope into our life. The guarantee is that Jesus forgives if we ask him. The guarantee is that Jesus empowers us to overcome those temptations, to overcome the, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the um, addictions, or whatever it might be, or the habits that we've gotten into. Jesus has come to declare liberty to the captives. See, we get excited about the Christmas trees and the lights and the, the decorations. That's all wonderful. It's all great. It's all part of the season. That's good. I'm not mocking any of that. I think it's great. I don't worship Christmas trees. I don't worship major scenes. But I enjoy seeing them because it's a reminder of what our Savior has come. Is it not? But what really the impact is the fact that he came. Didn't have to come. God's love was so great that he couldn't allow his people to stay in such a state of death. Because when we're in the world, we're really living in death. Aren't we? Weren't we? In fact, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2, and you were darkness. We were in darkness. We weren't just in darkness. We were darkness. We were living in a state of death. We were, I know, looking back on my past life, I was a walking dead man. You would never know that. It's in the prime of life. But I was a walking dead man. Spiritually, my spirit was dead to the things of God. I was raised in a church. I went to church on my own when my parents didn't even go. Oftentimes, they didn't usually go to church. My parents were C&E people, you know, Christmas and Easter, occasionally C&E people. But I would go to church, and I would go to Sunday school. And it wasn't until later on in life that I came to find out that there was a living God who loved me, and that I could have a different life. And that he wasn't just a figure that we talked about, just some myth, mythical figure that we seemed to be talking about in church or some ritual that was going on, but he was real. And when someone gave me a New Testament, and I had a Bible at home from church, it was a translation I couldn't hardly read much, I would try it from time to time, but somebody gave me a New Testament 
and it was a New Living Living Translation, and it was just a basic translation, and I just read the story about Jesus, and it just so impacted my life to know what he was really like, because I never knew what he was really like until I read the, the story about Jesus. Tell me the story about Jesus. I love to hear. Remember that? And as I read that story, and I found out that his kindness was so amazing, and his goodness was so... It just, it just blew me away. I, I, I was a UPS driver. I was on my route. I was stopped, pulled off the side of the road. I can still remember where. And I was having my lunch, but instead of eating my lunch, I just this lady had just given me this New Testament Bible, and I started reading it and reading it and reading it. I just started getting tears. That wasn't like me. And, the, and, and I began to realize, this isn't what the Jesus I thought. This isn't the Jesus that I thought was the real Jesus. This is the real Jesus. He's a real man. He was strong. He was kind. He was compassionate. But he was strong. And they hated him. That's what really bothered me the most. He would do all these miracles and set these people free and do these kind and wonderful things for people out of his great love. And yet the Pharisees, the religious order, and others hated him so much. They hated him so much that they had to crucify him and kill him, get rid of him. I couldn't understand that. Why? Why? Why would they do that? Have you ever wondered that? It's because of the darkness, the conflict in this world. There's a conflict between good and evil. This world system does not want Christ in the world. He doesn't want the power of Christ. He doesn't want the, 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 the Bible in the, word, in the world. The devil has raised up people to do, try to destroy this word, this Bible, many, 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 many times, but yet he fails over and over. He wants to destroy your life and my life, and he tries But when we are in Christ, we are anchored in truth. We are anchored in his love. We are anchored in his faithfulness. And he gives us his gift willingly. Doesn't he? Doesn't he good? So this morning, as we close this morning, I would like you just to take a few moments. Ask yourself, do I really know this Jesus? Or do I know another Jesus? A Jesus in my mind. Uh, someone once said that that uh, the Bible says that God created man, yet man was very quick to recreate God in his image. God created man in his image, but man was quick to recreate God in his in man's image. And have we done that this morning? Let's just bow our heads for a couple moments here. And uh, I can stand up here and I can speak and we can come together. You know, we get together in the morning and we, we get all ready. Some of you get cleaned up and uh, come to church and we devote this time. But if there's no challenge in our life, then we can just be hearers and not doers. So I'd like to challenge us all this morning. Do we know the real Jesus? Have you taken advantage of this gift that our Heavenly Father has given us? That he came to earth 
to die in our place that we may have victory, a victorious life. doesn't mean we're going to be, everything's going to be better roses, but we have a victory and a joy in our life that can't be robbed from us. Are there things in your life that you need to make right with the Lord? Are there sins? Are there things? Are there? Are you struggling? Are there things that have are defeating you, pulling you off in other ways? Lord, I pray that you will speak to each and every one of us, Lord. We know it's not just about the season; it's about the gift, this gift of Christ. If you have never received him and like to receive him, would you just raise your hand? You haven't received him into your life? If you need to come back to him, you've gotten away from him, if you need if you need the strength in your life that Jesus can only Jesus can give and you're struggling with things. If you acknowledge that, we will pray for you and that you may walk in the victory that Jesus has. Yes. Let's pray for you. Father, I pray for these brothers and sisters now in Christ that you'll supernaturally pour out your spirit upon their hearts and lives, break the power of evil, break the power of of sin, break the power of destruction in their life, that we may walk, again, I keep saying this, but we may walk in the victory that you have for us, that we may have the joy, that we may have the hope, that we may have peace in our lives. Lord, we ask for these gifts, the most important gifts, that gift of salvation for us. We ask that in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, God bless you all. I continue to pray that you'll have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas season. And if you'd like any prayer, any more prayer, or a special prayer, please come up. We'd be happy. We have some prayer people up here every Sunday. They would like to pray in agreement with you. We also have, downstairs, we have food and fellowship. Food, and uh, you can come down and visit. You don't have to bring anything. We do this every week, so we always like to invite. If you're a guest with us this morning, we like to invite you down. And most any door will take you down. So we have tables, we have food, coffee, all sorts of things every Sunday. We'd love to have you join us. Thank you. I just wanted to add one thing really quickly before we close. When Gary was praying at the end for those who were uh, reaching out to God, I saw a very distinct image in in my internal being, and I, I believe this is an encouragement from the Lord, and I need to share it. I saw people reaching out their hands, stretching out their hands toward the Lord, and just some feelings of desperation. And I saw God, uh, could you stretch your hand out? I saw God reaching down, it was Jesus, reaching down and grabbing right here and just grabbing a hold and pulling those individuals to himself, and that he was standing on a very solid, it uh, looked like a um, rocky, you know, ledge, and he pulled them up onto the ledge and just grabbed them to himself, and I could just sense the solidness and the strength. And so if you this morning were feeling like you've just been on such shaky ground and everything has just been kind of a a storm around you and you have felt 
maybe confused or hopeless or whatever it might be, and you reached out to God, I want to assure you that he responded and he grabbed a hold of you and he's pulled you to himself, so stay tight with him, stay close to him, because that's where the solidness is going to come from, is from staying close to him. So I just want to release that to you and bless you today in the name of Jesus. And uh, just to reiterate with Gary, there is plenty of food downstairs. There's many uh, leftovers from the um, ministerial lunch and that party that we just had here this week. So lots of desserts and all kinds of goodies down there. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, Michelle. God bless you all. Merry Christmas.